I'd like you to turn in your New Testaments now to John 13, verses 34 and 35. John 13, verses 34 and 35. And these are the words of Christ. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Now, this is the uh, third kind of uh, let's, let's get helped and shaped and launched out into a new year with what is important to God. Uh, next week, uh, we will go back to the book of Ruth. Uh, we took a little break for Advent and for Christmas and, and now just kind of getting together and, and, and trying to think uh, together in the new year. Uh, we will go back. People have been asking me, uh, yes, the next text is when Ruth and Boaz fall in love and get married. Several people, especially women, have been asking me when that's going to happen. That will happen next week, and it's going to be fun. But this morning... I want to talk about a different kind of love. It's not romantic love. It is the kind of love that if you don't have it, people would not even know you're a Christian. It's the kind of love that is the distinguishing mark of what a believer, a disciple, a follower of Christ looks like. It is the kind of love that Jesus, in John 13, in our text, commands us to have and to be and to do. And, and I'd like to, to look at this, this text through one sentence this morning. And you can write this sentence down. It's a great thing maybe to talk about it over lunch, maybe even with your kids if you have children. So here's the sentence. Christ's new commandment to love is about a choice born from a gift. Let me say that again. Christ's new commandment for us to love is about a choice born from a gift. I want to talk about this, this choice that Jesus is laying before us here in the beginning of 2017. Uh, this is a commandment, a new commandment I give you Last time I checked, commandments weren't suggestions. Commandments by nature are imperatives. Jesus is commanding us. But last time I checked, commandments are also those things that we kind of have to choose to do or break the commandment. You understand what I'm saying? This is something we must do. It's, it's an imperative but commandments are also things that we have to choose to do so we won't break the commandment. Now, you do know that love is a choice, right? If you don't know that, this is going to be like a big day in your life to, to learn the true nature of love. Love is a choice. Love actually is not a feeling. Uh, there are many feelings that can be associated with love and it's a, a, a mini-splendored thing and all that, and, and that's all good. But love itself is not defined as a feeling. It is a choice that we make. And uh, this isn't Hollywood. This is Jesus in the Gospel 
of John. Uh, love's not something that kind of takes over you and, and just begins to, you, you know, you can no longer help yourself and, and you begin to, uh, to exercise love because love somehow is just taking command of your body. That's not the way it is. No. I mean, infatuation is like that sometimes. But uh, what Jesus is saying here is we've got to choose to love. It's a command. And the language of verse 34 really helps us see that. If, you, if, we, if I was to translate it, I'd translate it like this. A new commandment I give you, and literally it says this, that you keep on loving one another. So love's not just a choice in this passage. Love's an ongoing choice. Love's a choice you've got to keep on making. It's like a, a, a lifestyle of making that choice. Now, any of you who are married understand that life, uh, love is a choice. Some of you are like, amen, brother. Because, hey, there are ups and downs in, in life and marriage, right? And, and just like God's mercies are renewed every morning, our love for our spouse has to be chosen every morning and renewed every morning. Jesus says about those who know him, about the church, about brothers and sisters, a new commandment I give you that you keep on loving one another. So by definition, love is a choice. And one of the simplest definitions of love that you could give would just be John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave. He, he sent his only son. He, he chose to do this. And he, he, he decided and he did it. He gave. So what's great about this passage in John 13 is that if you look at the, the, the bigger context of it, Actually, Jesus shows us and tells us what love is in John 13. For instance, um, if you go back to verse 1 of John 13, it says that, you know, they were in an upper room. And, you know, this is where the Last Supper is going to be. And they were in an upper room. And, and Jesus, it says, wanted to show them the full extent of his love. So how did he do this? Jesus wanted to show love the way it really is. It says that, um, and if you want to look, this is in verse 4, that he, he got up from the meal, he, he took off his outer garment, he filled a, a basin with water, and he took a towel, and he stooped down on his knees, or just stooped down, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter said, no, you can't wash my feet because like foot washing was like the most menial thing in a dusty kind of grody foot culture, sandal culture that you could do. No, you can't wash my feet. You're the Son of God. You're the Savior. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so he washes their feet. He serves them. He shows them that, that love is a choice to serve. Love is something outward. Love is gift. And then he says at the end, he says, if, if then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done for you. That's really strong, isn't it? Love is gift. Love is service. Jesus washed feet right here. And then the next thing that happens in the upper room is even more dramatic. 
Jesus took the bread of the Passover. And right when he, they thought he was going to do the Passover, he took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said something different than you normally said. You know what he said? He said, this is my body given for you. Do this whenever you eat this meal, remembering me. It says he took the cup after supper, this cup of redemption in the Passover meal. And, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of sin for many. As, as often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Y- y'all recognize that, right? That's communion. This is the Last Supper. This is where Jesus gives us communion. And what does communion show us about God's love? Yes, it's, it's service. It's, it's giving It is total sacrifice. Love is total sacrifice. And um, our love is kind of measured against the basin and the towel in one sense in this passage. And, And our love is measured against the cross. Christ's love. Albert Barnes, I, I like these, you all know I like these kind of old-timey, uh, flowery words. Do not let us suppose, he says, that, that Christian love is mere sentiment. He says, Jesus' love is an active love. And here's the word I love, a self-oblivious word, love. Like a, we just obliviate ourselves to be able to give to another person. He says uh, that Christian love is a active love, a self-oblivious love, a self-sacrificing love. Christian love is not just sentimental emotions and honeyed words. It's a choice we make. It's something we give. It's service. It's sacrifice. That's, That's what we learn first, is that this new commandment to love is a choice. To love one another. But secondly, it's a choice born out of or born from a gift. That's verse 34. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Jesus says that our love with one another needs to look like his love. Um, But here's the thing. His call to love here is not just for anyone. Now, he says, love one another. Meaning that this command, this calling to love is exclusively given to people who have been loved by Jesus. It's given exclusively exclusively to people who have the gospel, have the serving, sacrificial love of God shed in their hearts, have this new life and forgiveness and the, the life of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, this isn't just about the measure of our love. As I have loved you, love one another meaning I loved you by serving, washing feet. I loved you by dying for you. And that's, that's how much I want you to love other people. It's not just this, this like incredible call to a high measure of love. This, this talks about the motivation for our love, right? Just as I have loved you, I want you to love people with that. 
You, you see that there's, it's a little bit of a play on words here. Just as I have loved you, this is only for people that have been loved by God, that have experienced God's love in the gospel. A new commandment to love one another is a choice born of a gift, Jesus' love for us. So we have to ask the question, what makes this commandment new? I mean, look, love one another, that's not new. You know, there's, there's three places in the Old Testament where it talks about loving your neighbor and as you love yourself in the Old Testament. And then Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, said, hey, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Like, this is the measure of the love. The way you love yourself, turn around and give that kind of love to somebody else. I mean, that's, you know, we're selfish people, typically, and that would be a lot of love. So that's no small thing, right? But this is a new commandment, and what makes it new is this, this kind of new measure and motivation of the love. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another, not as you love yourself. So there, there's just like this new spiritual dynamic where heaven and earth meet, where God and people are reconciled through Jesus, where the Holy Spirit lives within us and something has the possibility of happening here because of Jesus' love in our lives, because of a relationship with Him. That's what made it new. I was listening to uh, someone talking a while back um, about a deep struggle that they were having with one of their children. And in this particular case, the, the child was kind of disrupting the home. It was an older child. It's kind of a, one of the, what, what, what parents call the, a rebellion situation. So the child is kind of disrupting the home, and the, the younger children are watching this. I mean, it's kind of a bad deal, you know. And, man, this parent didn't know what to do. And, like, the more this parent clamped down, the more they rebelled. And, and uh, he was talking to a friend, and, and this friend gave him some really good advice. He said, um, when you really begin to struggle with your child, like in your heart, like really struggle, I want you to stop and think right there that this is a perfect picture of what it must be like for God to love me as a sinner. That kind of changes the dynamic of this thing, doesn't it? Because, okay, I'm a sinner. You are too. God, while we were yet sinners, God loved us in Christ. And, and as one of his children, we still rebelled. And God still loves us. God still reaches us. You know, there's, there's an incredible dynamic here. This isn't just, hey, I died for you, I washed feet, now you go do it. This is, there's something new happening in the hearts of men and women because of what I've done. It is the full measure of love, but it is the transformational aspect of what knowing God through His death. And knowing God personally by faith 
actually means. Now I'm loved. Now I have love to give. Now I'm loved. Now I can remember and have compassion because God's love is compassionate for me. Isn't that cool? I want to add one final thing to this sentence. Christ's command for us to love one another is about a choice born of a gift. This is my commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, so also love one another. And here's the last part. The world is astonished by this when it happens. Astonished! Verse 35, By this will all people know for certain that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, I still remember first time I heard this passage taught as a brand new believer in college, Brother Al Jackson, my Baptist pastor, I was raised Presbyterian, never heard the gospel for some reason, and man, when I came to Jesus, I wanted to be a Baptist immediately, because those people love the gospel. So Brother Al, who's one of my close friends to this day, and then, by the way, you're wondering why I'm a Presbyterian probably, little aside, I, I didn't realize you could like love the infallible Word of God, love evangelism, missions, and be Presbyterian at the same time. See, I discovered the PCA. This is good. Boom, I'm there. But I remember Brother Al Jackson was holding forth on John 13, 34, and 35. And I remember just, just the good feeling that I had while listening to this. I mean, a, a, a reaction to it. Of, of Jesus' love for me, um, of how this commandment, as Brother Al put it, is the badge of the disciple. And I thought, that's right. This is the badge of the disciple. But, but that wasn't, even that wasn't the, the high soaring feeling and thought that I had. I, I mused. You see, I wasn't a part of a believing group of people until very recently at this time and and this was a whole new dynamic to be forgiven to know God to to have all that Christ had given me and I was very grateful but I mused about how this group of people I'm talking about the, the believers who actually had supernatural ability to love I pondered what could this mean if we acted out on this thing you see I mean, I was just a brand new Christian. I'm like, this is cool. Whoa. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. There's, there's a real positive dimension of people recognizing Jesus through you, through following this command that is born of this gift. And I was filled with notions that very night of how the world could be changed. I mean, I, I, I just kind of had this moment. I was like a Christian hippie all of a sudden. You know, instead of visualize world peace, it's like visualize if love really happened. Like if, if believers actually 
loved one another. I want to tell you something. Dream with me. I've never lost that dream. dream. In this new year, dream with me. Be a Christian hippie with me. Step with me into the realm of the possible, into the realm of what is needed in this time of uncertainty and fear and and ugliness and 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 everybody balkanized and and shattered and and lack of unity this is so needed in fact y'all this is not a distant wispy dream at all this is a command this isn't something that can possibly happen this is what is supposed to happen now don't take that as Pastor Wheat just knocked me in the chops, you know, and just, just, that's supposed to happen. You're not doing it. No, no, no. Be a hippie with me for a second. That's what's supposed to happen. That could happen through us. And the world is filled with wonder. Wonder. You know, it, it happened before. I've read about this. There's lots of lots of um, writings about it. The early church. You, know, you wonder how Christianity started with with twelve guys who followed a prophet. I mean, a um, Messiah that they called a prophet who was killed on a cross. Uh, they said he rose from the dead. All of this and how that took over the world, basically the Roman world, and it did in a in a span of a few hundred years. It's amazing. The early church acted out on the love of Jesus in truly amazing ways, and the world marveled. And so many thousands and thousands of people came to put their trust in what Christ had done, were loved, forgiven, made whole, made new, and become brothers and sisters. These were people who were Romans themselves. These were peoples in Asia Minor. These were people all over the the, the Roman world. And folks, these were people who identified themselves with Christ when you lost your job if you identified yourself with Christ. When you got beat up if you identified yourself with Christ or you got killed. Do you know that when Diocletian was the emperor of Rome and the um, the persecutions kind of hit one of their, there's like different spikes one of the early one of the spikes do you realize that during that time fully one tenth of the Roman Empire was Christian? What would possess somebody to become something that you die if you're discovered? Love it's like I see it that's it. I don't want to live one more second without him, without his love, and without this love. The early church father, Tertullian, in about 200 A.D., wrote this, but it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that have led many to put a brand upon us. And you, I'm sure this is where it comes, this, this famous sentence, and here was the brand, see or look. How do you know whether somebody's a Christian, the, the heathen, the pagan, as they were called? See how they love one another. That was it. Isn't that amazing? 
he goes on, he says, see, Tertullian goes on, see how they are ready even to die for one another. And they did. Now, sometimes in 2016, that we just lived a year of that, year of the Lord, 2016, and now in the year of our Lord, 2017, sometimes feel like that's not happening, does it? If people are so down on Christians and so critical, yeah, Christians are hypocrites, Christians are ugly, mean people, where do they get that? Where do they get that? Well, Jesus has an answer in this passage. Albert Barnes says, but perhaps of all the commands of Jesus, obedience to this one seems least apparent in the surrounding world. Well noted, Albert. Seems least apparent in the surrounding world. Do you realize that as much as we would not like to come to grips with this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of God, our Savior, has given the world around us the right to judge us. This is, this is amazing. The, the right to judge whether we are Jesus' disciples or not based on how we treat one another. Based on whether we love one another. And they do make that judgment all the time. They make that judgment. And they should make that judgment. And we, the church, need to hear these words from Jesus in a big way in January of 2017. And we need to get on our knees and we need to repent of our selfishness, of our pulling into our own cocoons and not caring about the other person and our lack of love that is both servant-oriented and sacrificial. That is a choice. We need for people to say, those Highlands, those, those crazy Presbyterians, look how they love one another. And I will say, to be fair, there are, there are wonderful testimonies of how open-armed and, and gracious and kind and loving this church is. But what could happen? There's a story about a pastor who was in Belgium, Johan Lucasse with his name, with the Belgium Evangelical Mission, and uh, Pastor Lucasi came to the realization that that the expansion of the church and evangelism in Belgium uh, in the 60s and 70s and 80s was just kind of at a dead end. You know, Europe, Western Europe is one of the hardest places for Christianity now. Uh, I'll quote from him, the nation's long history of a traditional Catholicism now in decline the aggression of the cults and the aggression of the secularists had left the land seemingly impervious to the gospel. And to this day, people say, you know, it doesn't matter what country in Europe, we're going to France. It's the graveyard of missions, they say. We're going to Belgium. It's the graveyard of missions, they say. And you know what? It's like concrete. So, Pastor Lucasi decided that he would pray and he'd start talking to people and he'd come up with a plan. And uh, he emerged sometime later with a plan, a, a brand new ministry plan. And his plan was based on John 13. It has three parts. 
It's just it's so interesting, at least to me. I hope it's interesting to you. But you're stuck, aren't you? <laughs> First part of the plan, to gather together a diverse group, Belgians, Dutch, French, Americans, whoever would come. All right. Second part of the plan. This is the radical part. Pastor Lacasse rented a house, um, and they all lived together for seven months. So if you're going to be a part of this plan, came from all these different people, you had to, like, live with everybody, okay? So let me quote, as is natural, frictions developed as the believers rubbed against one another. This, in turn, sent them to prayer for love, and they began to love one another. Love began to overcome their differences, and they began to really love one another. Thirdly, third part of the plan, to, uh, to go out and share the gospel with others in Belgium, and they, for the first time in, in his adult ministry, began to see amazing fruit from this ministry. And before you knew it, just in this little part of the city, they had a nickname from the people around this, this church. And here was the nickname, the people who love each other. And that was the difference. Maybe one more word picture on this. Try to grasp how important this is. I think we could look at it maybe through the lens of parenting. You know, my generation, the baby boomers, and I've noticed the generations after me are, are no less like fixated on our children. And we want our children to be champions and you know, have be well-rounded. That means we got to like run them into the ground with every opportunity that they don't even want to do, but we make them do for their own good. You know, all this stuff. You know, and then we worry and we hover and all that. And I mean, it's just part of what modern parents are like, I guess. So we just want to love our kids. We, we almost love our kids to death. We love our children, and and we show it. You know, we 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 buy things, do things. All this. But you know, it turns out that there's a, uh, as much as loving the child is important, there's another key to parenting that is equally as important as that. And and it is a very important principle, and that is how much kids need to see their parents not fixated on them, but need to see their parents loving one another. Kids need to see a marriage, you see. We don't need just to be fixated on the kids all the time. Children need to see parents loving one another. One of the greatest gifts, you don't have to have money. You don't have to have opportunity of of all kinds. One of the greatest gifts that a parent can give to children is just to love the spouse. In front of the children, just so, one of the greatest gifts we as the body of Christ can give the world is to love one another. See how they love one another. Oh, those are the people who love one another. I want to be with that. See, Jesus not only gave the model, but in the gospel, he gives the power to love one another with his love. And and it still changes the world. Because it shows people Jesus. And we can show them the very gospel. We can show them 
the cross and the empty tomb, we can show them freedom through faith in Christ. Let me just read the text again and then, and then close. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So, I am not simply going to start your new year off by simply saying, now you go love one another better. No, I'm going to ask you if you will focus more on Jesus' amazing, serving, self-sacrificial love in the gospel for you. And I'm going to ask you if you will ask Him to give you the desire and the power to love your brothers and sisters from that love, a choice that is born out of a gift and that we might show and tell the gospel to what we call the watching world because it turns out they are watching. And let the world marvel and let them eat the bread of life, and live. And let them live with us. Do you hear me say? Let, let them live with us. Let them love with us. We're about to sing, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, and we'll focus on His love and ask Him to, to bring His love to bear. But let's pray. Lord, thank You for the fact that while we were yet sinners, you died for the ungodly. That's us. While we were still in our sins, while we were your enemies, you so loved us that you sent your only Son. And Jesus, thank you for how you died on a cross, took our very sins upon yourself as a sacrifice, a lamb, the final, like the Old Testament lambs that covered over sin, the final once and for all sacrifice, the spotless Lamb of God sacrificed for us. Thank you, Jesus, that when you died, you proclaimed it is finished and you have done it all. And if you've never put your trust in what Christ has done for us, you've never received Him into your life and you, you get it and you'd like to, just pray with me. Lord, I see it. It's so wonderful. And I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity and everything I've called religion, and I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done for me on the cross and in the empty tomb. Even now, you have given me new life. Even now, you have forgiven me forever. Even now, Lord, you are going to lead me to love and teach me how to love by abiding in your love. Lord, many of us have walked with you for some years, and this command of Jesus, it's kind of like we know it, but it, maybe you could catch us up short with it, God. Maybe we could see whether we're more just about ourselves and our own peace and our own stuff, or whether we are givers. Lord, would you give us the blessing of one another? And would you cause our hearts 
to love our brothers and sisters sacrificially. And Lord, would you cause wonder right here in Ridgeland and Madison and the greater Jackson area, even through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.